Welcome to the NOI Podcast, uncovering the path to successful real estate investing. I'm your host, Brent Farkas. On this show, we do a deep dive into uncovering the keys to successfully investing in real estate. You will learn from industry rock stars and thought leaders specializing in large multifamily syndications to furnished short-term rentals and everything in between. Whether you are a seasoned investor operator looking to scale or a first-time investor looking to create passive income through real estate, this podcast is for you. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you will be notified of future episodes. Let's get to it. Welcome to this week's episode of the NOI podcast. My guest is Ruben Greth. Ruben is the multifamily capital manager at Bakerson. Capital management team has successfully placed, managed, returned tens of millions of dollars, wholesaled 2,000 plus houses, and bought 850 plus apartment units. He's also the host of the Capital Razor Show. Welcome, Ruben Greth. Thanks, Brent. How are you, man? I'm phenomenal. Thanks for joining us this week, and uh, it's really great to have you on. And we've had a few tech issues, but we're getting through it here as we're long distance. We already got through it, man. Don't worry about it. We're, 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 we're solid. It, we're solid. We're like, we yeah. got two podcasters on here. We'll be fine. <laughs> That's right. Well, hey, man, it's great to have you. Tell me a little bit about Bakerson. I know you're a capital manager and um, I really want to focus on the passive investor this week using real estate as the asset class for their investing. Cool. I'll give you a little bit of background on our company. We've been in business doing real estate in Arizona since 2002, I believe. I'm new to the team. I came on board about a year and a half ago. But the history timeline of Bakerson is from 2002 to 2011 or 12, we were wholesaling properties, doing some tax lien stuff in the beginning. Then eventually we started wholesaling multifamily. And I think we wholesaled a mobile home park and a hotel. We got into land development for just like one fraction of a second. And then we saw what the people that we were wholesaling multifamily apartments to were doing. And then we tried to copy what they were doing. So we started buying apartment complex with the purpose to stabilize it, go in there and fix it, impact the community, make it a safe, functional, durable, clean place for somebody to live and grow their family. And then we would typically sell it to another investor so they could, what we refer to as reposition it. So finish the rehab or stabilize it to 100% or 90% plus occupancy and and then purchase it with traditional financing, what we refer to as agency debt. So how long were your normal hold times? Yeah, 24 to 36 months typically, some shorter, some a little longer. And that's been a very distinct business model. A lot of people in the multifamily syndication space Mm -hmm. are looking to purchase something that's cash flowing, that's for the most part stabilized, and then keep it for about five to seven years, which is part of their business plan so they can capitalize on the interest only period and the tax benefits, which are done through cost segregation. Yeah. I'm thinking of the passive investors. So it's such a short hold time. Are your investors then all along for that short journey? Yeah. Okay. So you got to understand that there's a variety of different investor theses is like what investors want. So a lot of passive investors, they want cash flow, generational wealth, tax benefits, And then they really want to feel comfortable and safe with their operator. Typically a heavy lift or somebody that does these bigger, you know, construction style projects are not going to provide those things because 
there's no cash flow if you're under construction, right. number one, or if you're removing the residents to put new and better ones in. So typically our investor has been very focused on the return that they're going to get at the end when we sell the property. So, but the passive investor, you know, like we can, we can talk to some of the things that t- passive investors want, or if they're, they're newer investors, like how to navigate this world called syndication, because these PPMs and these documents, they're a lot more complex with a lot more moving piece and, and more interesting underwriting models than like, you know, the typical single family home, which is, Hey, we're buying it at this, we're selling it at this, this is how much we need to take it down. And then here's going to be your return and usually get it in a very short time frame. Whereas with these bigger active syndications that people, that passive investors want to get a part of, become a part of, there's, there's a lot of stability and safety in it, especially if you find an operator with a nice track record. And then there's tax benefits and cash flow. However, a lot of syndicators, if you're not with the right group, will sell the property off in five to seven years, causing a capital gains problem. And you'll have to basically pay the capital gains and then go find another project and do it again. So some syndicators have this philosophy to buy and and just hold it and cash flow forever. Now, some of those syndicators will buy the passive investor out in year three or year five, and some of them will return the original principal back at the refinance whenever that happens, usually in year two to four, and then just leave their ownership equity portion alone, and then they can ride into the sunset, take their original principal and invest it into a new project so they can compound that original investment into multiple deals over a 10-year period while never losing their equity position in these properties that certain people will keep forever, right? So a lot of family offices have these timelines where they're thinking about three generations down the road. They have no interest in selling. We have adopted a model very similar to that. You know, like I mentioned in our past, we've done a lot of buy, fix, and sell. And now we're looking to do what's ref- what we refer to as legacy investing, where we buy, fix, and just keep. So for the passive investor, my number one advice would be like, don't invest into somebody's deal until you've interviewed other investors who have done business with them. And make sure that the operator, the there's a lot of terms for them, the sponsor, the manager, the operator, the general partner, Make sure that that person that's in charge of the project has a nice track record, typically invests in the same place where they live or in a specific market only. There's a lot of operators that invest in all kinds of places and they're really not phenomenal as they could be if they focused on one area. And, you know, some of them, you know, I give them props because they've built teams in multiple markets and they can do that. But for the most part, a lot of people feel safer with investing with somebody that either lives in one market and invests in the same place or only invests in one market because some syndicators just don't live in places where they can invest like California, New York. Obviously, you're not going to have a good market to invest there in terms of returns. Well, are you saying that because you think that the operator might not have, unless I guess if they're in different markets and they have really good property managements in place, would that be a concern of? No, it has nothing to do with the, the concern is, I wouldn't even say it's a concern. The reason that they can't invest where they live, like let's say we got somebody in San Francisco and they buy apartment complexes. 
the price per unit on an apartment complex compared to how much rent they're going to get is not going to be a cash flow rich situation. So they have to find a different market to invest in. That's good. That's really good. What are great questions for passive investors to ask syndicators? So, I mean, there's the general stuff. Like, tell me about your team. You got to make sure you know, like, and trust the, the people that you're doing business with. But typically they start asking questions around, you know, can you explain what's going on with the underwriting? Like how, when am I going to get my money back? How often am I going to get communicated with? Can you explain to me, you know, like it says, for example, that you are going to do property management and it seems like it's very expensive. I guess once you get sophisticated, you would ask that type of question. And then somebody may come back and say, oh, well, we're going to have uh, an extra person on staff that's going to change the sheets, uh, an on-time, an all-time full-time housekeeper because we're going to rent out some of the units like hotels or something. There's going to be some kind of explanation for something that they put into the underwriting that doesn't typically make sense. So that's an example that I'm thinking of on a particular hotel project that somebody could be doing (laughs) a hotel conversion. But so basically they're going to, they're going to read all the documents, hopefully, and then basically see stuff that doesn't make sense to them and start asking questions. Can you explain to me this or that? Or it says, you know, I'm going to get my money back in X, Y, Z timeframe, you know, explain how that's going to work. How am I going to get communicated with? When can I find out what's going on with the property? Can I log into a portal? Can I see updates there? Or do I have to wait to get you on a phone call? That's the other thing is like some people, some big sponsors or some, other sponsors just don't make themselves available. Like you have to talk to their team and some people don't like that. Right. So, so typically there's somebody always available in my group. I'm always available like at ridiculous times, you know, all, all weekend, all night, you know, so anybody can reach out to me, whether they're a partner of mine or, you know, a limited partner or a general partner of mine, because we do do business with people that aren't a part of our team like the internal team better said, but they have their own internal teams. And so I make myself available to all the partners at all times. And I do investor relations and communication. We do have a marketing manager that's the, you know, does the techie stuff, the back office, the computer, um, the website design, the the automated emails and that type of stuff. I'm not super techie. So I, we have different people on our team that do different functions. We have a construction manager, an acquisitions manager, a visionary, me, who I just, all I do is build relationships and run a podcast and do brand awareness and marketing for my team. So we all have different focuses, and different strengths. And that's one of the big things too, is like, if you're a passive investor, are you looking at one dude that does everything or a team of people right? That has all these different pieces in place. Like, do they actually have employees? Do they have, you know, who, who are the ancillary services that they work with? Like, do they have a really good title company, a really good property manager? Do they manage the property themselves and have a team and a company that's vertically integrated into their system? There's all these different factors and stuff, but what you do want to do is invest with somebody that's or some group that's a team, right? Because if you're d- dealing with just one person, well, what happens if that person disappears or dies? 
then now you don't have access to your deal. So you want to deal, you want to invest with a group of people if, when it, whenever possible. Yeah. And then passive investors vetting these deals. Do you find that the ones that are working with you guys are, are actually doing some underwriting themselves or are they just relying on you guys and, and seeing your underwriting? I've seen it all, man. I, I see people because they interview syndicators. So I'll talk about our team and other people's teams that I've interviewed. And what I found is that there's a crazy level amount of investors that just know and like somebody so much that they don't bother to read the PPM agreement, the private placement memorandum. And, and even it goes to the extent where somebody says, Hey, I have a deal coming up down the road. And they say, well, just count me in for a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> without ever seeing it because they've, they've developed that relationship to such a high level. And a lot of investors, if they're first time investors, they ask their friends, or, you know, their friends tell them about, hey, I'm with this particular multifamily company that just gave me a check on, on in January and then in February and then, in, you know, March, April. Now it's six months in a row and they tell their friends. And now the friends have so much ex- faith and experience in their friend that they don't bother to vet the operator. They just invest with somebody that they trust, which is their friend that doesn't even know the operator. Wow. And that's typical. Right. So I see that a lot. Yeah. I saw that you have some experience raising money through social media. Is that something you did before Bakerson? Yeah. 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 Tell me a little bit about that. And do you think as socials grow, do you think more and more money will flow through the social channels? It already is. It's just, it's just, the thing is, is that raising capital on social media is not what people think. People think that you're at, somebody's on social media asking for money. That's very uncommon. Really what happens is somebody goes on social media and shares about the projects that they're doing. And when I was, let's see, when I was running a meetup in 2009, somebody was buying a bunch of fourplexes and had a bankruptcy on his record because he lost all his money in spec homes during the crash. But he was purchasing all these fourplexes. I'm like, well, I know you got a bankruptcy. How are you taking these properties down? Can I go to you to your projects and film you? And then maybe we can get some people aligned with us and then we can raise capital that way. So he's like, yeah, sure. So I go to his projects. I film him. We talk about assets, liabilities, rich dad, poor dad type stuff, philosophies. And then we talk about our investment style. You know, we'd purchase a property. We would explain how we found it, how we were going to resident occupy it, how we were going to get it back on the market, what we were doing, you know, the different contractors, what we were going to do to it and how we selected the property and how, how we underwrit it. And then underwrote it and then people would see our model and instead of trying to copy the model, you know, we always came from an abundance mindset and just shared what we were doing regardless of if someone was going to steal our model. But a lot of people are just like, oh man, I really like that and I don't have time to invest. Let me invest with you. So they would fly into town, we'd take them to lunch, we'd take them to the properties, they'd physically touch the asset for whatever reason that's magical for people because they can feel the property and then we'd offer them, you know, to come in and join us on a deal. And typically they'd be, oh, well, maybe the next one. And then we'd go ahead and purchase it anyways. And then we'd go back to them and say, hey, look, we're cash flowing astronomically. We have, you know, 55% loan to value on this property and a huge equity position. And they would start fearing missing out on the next one. And they would come in at that point on the next deal. It's not too similar. or I mean, it's not too different in the in the syndication space, but 
that style of, of investing or raising capital that I did back then, never asked anybody for money. And it was always revolved around direct joint venture relationships or, or direct partnerships where somebody would come in with the money and then we would basically manage everything else. And they would have some ongoing duties, whether it's, you know, making some decisions around the property and visiting it and other kinds of decisions in the world of syndication. It's very uncommon to raise money that way. So a lot of people think that if you find a deal, the money will come. But if you don't have a bunch of relationships with people, that's simply not true. You, you might be able to do it for a small deal, like a, something that costs less than $500,000 or probably even more so or less than $250,000. But once you're talking about a $5 million property or a $15 million property with a, 15, with a $5 million capital raise, that will never work. For the most part, you have to take passive investors through this process, which is four steps, right? So they they find out who you are, typically through social media or by seeing you in different places and having received multiple multiple touch points. They might hear you on a podcast and then see you at a networking event and then see your social media post and then hear somebody talking about you. And after they've gotten contact of you and your business, like from five, six, seven, eight different sources, then they start to realize, okay, this person's not going anywhere. They may at that point try and make a relationship with you or in the process, get you on a phone call. At that point, that's step two, right? So now they know, like, and trust you. Now, do they resonate? You know, step two is make sure that that they align with multifamily or whatever your specific asset class is. And step two, you basically share the idea of multifamily, the generational wealth that it creates, the impact that it has on the community, the tax benefits associated with it, and all of the factors that you as a company love about multifamily and why you like that asset class. So that's step one is know, like, and trust, and then probe, make sure that that you know what their problem, what the investors' problems are, and that you can solve them. Then present multifamily as an industry to see if they're in alignment with it. And then, if they pass steps one and two, then you start explaining and sharing what is it like to invest with you. What does it feel like? When are you going to get communicated with? When are you going to get your money back? When do the returns get distributed? So that they really have a clear picture of every part, right? So they know I can trust you. They agree with multifamily is a great asset class. And then they understand how it feels to do business with you. At that point, then you can do step four, which is present the deal. If you try and do step four right off the bat without going through steps one, two, and three, it's such an uphill battle. It's, there's just there's no way you can get somebody to know, like, and trust you and then understand multifamily or whatever asset you're in. And then also understand what it's like to do business with you in the time frame that is required in order to get a deal across the finish line when you're in a large multifamily apartment, which is typically 30 to 60 days, right? It's really fast. You can't build that relationship and go through all those steps in like one week. Right. Yeah. With numerous people. <laughs> yeah. So at Bakerson, how does that journey, how do those steps play out? Is that journey continually happening, those steps while you guys are looking for properties? Yeah. Are you constantly, you're just constantly building those relationships? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, all the, just always, it's always happening. And it's like, are you using funnels? Uh, not really too much. Like, so there's a, a funnel, like that's when you're really attracting people that you don't know. And I'm not really a big proponent of that. Like really what I'm doing 
is, and it's, it, it may not be specifically tailored to the passive investor because they're, for me, I have a hard time finding where they are. I don't hang out in the same places where there are enough to get big groups of them. So like, it's a, it, it's just over time, it happens naturally. But really what my focus is, is never to sell anything, but just go out there and make friends with people, right? So that removes the stress, the pressure, like this business, it's, it's typically a long sales cycle, right? When, when you first meet an investor to when they actually invest with you, could be anywhere from three months to three years or longer, right? So I'm not concerned with selling them on whatever deal that I have. I'm concerned with like, hey, are you a cool person and do I like you, right? Because I always want to do business with people that I like. I don't want somebody that's like, absolutely disrupting my daily life with a ton of questions and things that, you know, because there's a lot of tire kickers, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with educating yourself, but there are certain people of certain personality types that will just drive you crazy. I don't want to do business with those people. Like, I'm not saying you have to be completely educated or super smart or sophisticated in order to do business with us, but you probably need to know enough to be dangerous and to go out and select, you know, like, to look at 10 sponsors and say, Hey, I can identify the best one of that 10. Right. So that's what I would like to see from a passive investor is like, they're not just investing with me because they don't know anybody else. They're investing with me because they've seen other people and we've done better and we perform better and they like us better than those other groups. That's really what I want. If somebody has never invested in a syndication or in a multifamily deal, First thing I'm going to do is tell them to go talk to multiple people and particularly people that have invested with those people so they can start to get to a feel of it. Like, you know, because I, I don't want to, I don't always want to walk somebody through and teach them everything. I mean, that's part of what I do naturally, but I don't think people should trust the first person, even if they're friends or family that they come in contact with. You know, watch them for a while, see who their see who their competitors or other people in the industry are, and what those guys are doing. So I like that particular advice for the passive investor. That makes so much sense. I had asked the question about you know vetting deals for a passive investor, but before even that, I guess what, like you're saying, you need to be vetting the syndicators. You know, making sure you you pick the right person to get into business with yeah. before you even talk about deals. True, which is what you said. So great. Instead of thinking about okay, I'm looking for a deal as a passive investor, you're really looking to build a relationship and trust the person you're gonna you know give your money to. So I hope so, and I understand that not everybody is really good at building relationships with people, and then you know there's there's the people that that are very reclusive or secluded and they like to be in their pajamas doing a bunch <laughs> yeah. of research in the middle of the night on their computers and they don't want to talk to the operators. So I'm not saying that's a bad idea. It's just, you know, like if you're, if you're newer, it makes sense to me to try and build relationships with numerous operators to see, you know, who you resonate with the most and who you, who you think has the most, the highest likelihood of success going forward with you and that can take you to wherever it is that you want to go. Typically people have emotional problems, right? So like I'm a CPA, I'm 55 years old and I don't spend time with my grandchildren and I need to be on the beach and I'm tired of dealing with these clients and I want to retire. Your passive investments can, can get me there. 
I think I want to do business with you because I need to be on a beach yeah. and I'm not there. <laughs> I'm not even close to being on a beach. So there's some kind of emotional need. My my daughter needs to go to college and I don't have a nest egg. Um, you know, it could be like travel, financial freedom. Like I want to trust somebody to manage my money and just collect the paycheck. There's some kind of emotional thing going on. And like, there's a lot of people, a lot of syndicators that are just like, let me show you the returns and the numbers so that you know that I know what I'm doing, but that's not addressing the investor's emotional needs. So we really like to, we like to partake in, in, you know, determining if we're helping people get to whatever it is that they want to accomplish. So true. Let's talk about the, uh, the person that wants to become an active investor, but feels more comfortable maybe starting as a passive. Do you think it's a good idea to maybe invest with you guys passively, kind of learn the ropes before jumping into becoming active? And do you have certain investors that you've seen that where then they've learned from you guys and then they become active? Yeah, there's a huge spectrum of people that are getting into syndication. So there's the single family flippers that are like seeing what the multifamily investors are making. And they're like, I don't want to do that because now I'm brand new at it. There's a whole learning curve. I don't want to start again and suck at the beginning. (laughs) But it is it is a process that if you want to be able to scale and not have all the problems that come with single family, then you have to go through that process of learning. And part of the way that you can do that is by passively investing with somebody. A friend of mine named Abel Pacheco talks about this virtual cycle of passive to active investing, right? Where you go in as a passive investor, you get the curtains lifted, you get to see what's going on, how a syndicator communicates with them. And then as you start to study that syndicator, you become, you know, maybe a a co-sponsor in the deal, like either give them some liquidity or you start bringing some of your friends along. And then you're, you're a part owner of the company, what's called a co-GP or a co-general partner or co-sponsor. And then, you know, like from there you continue to grow and then you start doing your own deals and then you attract all your own investors. And then it's this cycle, right? You start off as passive, become active, and then you do the same thing with other people. You bring passive investors. There's also these other groups of people that have lots of liquidity or or lots of cash or they're like tech people from Silicon Valley with $250,000 jobs or whatever job it is you have. They just want to passively invest. So they put it in with a sponsor and then realize because they are now financially free or out of their job that they want something to do. And they see syndication as a great tool, a, a great vehicle for creating wealth that the majority of the country does not know is possible to them. So they make it a moral imperative to start sharing about it. And then they become co-GPs by bringing in other people and doing ongoing active duties within the company. And those guys become their own syndicators. Then there's other people that are like, Hey dude, I'm like taking down all these properties just with my own money. I want to learn syndication, but like, why don't we just partner? I'll do, I'll bring 50% of the capital and you bring 50% of the capital. I have somebody in mind right now that is doing this to us. He's like, I'll do 50%, you do 50%. And they don't understand the syndication model because typically a lot of business owners in the syndication world, they have employees or people that they have to keep the lights on in their business. And if they brought all the cash or 50% of the cash, then all of a sudden they can't support their business. They, the employees and everybody else so they can't come in with just 50% and do it, even though they're doing it, you know, over and over through syndications. So like I'm trying to convince one particular investor that 
if he really wants to scale in multifamily, he has to start syndicating or else when he runs out of money, you know, he's done. So, but it's kind of hard to break the mindset of that person. So, so if they can learn how it is to syndicate through a passive investing, start to understand. And then if they have their own group of investors, they can have that first deal on their track record as a sponsor, and they can start and take that information and go off and syndicate their own deals. But sometimes the people are, like I mentioned with the single family flippers, it's very hard to get them to shift their mindset from what they have successfully done in the past to now doing something different that they've never done before. Yeah, it's a big jump, huh? It is. It is a big yeah. jump. Yeah, so I, I could see where you know being passive makes a lot of sense just to kind of learn the ropes, you know? Yeah, either that or hire a coach, you know, that's somebody that's done it before. That's also a great option. The other option that we haven't discussed is if you have some specific skill set, like if you're good at underwriting or you're good at meeting people or you're good at social media or you have title connections or you have some skill set that a syndicator or operator needs on his team, you can basically go and bring those skills to that team and then you can have a small fraction of the GP as you're learning. That's that's the path that I took. I brought a bunch of media and branding and social you know, skills to my team who likes talking to people, but who's really more passionate about the acquisition side of things. So they like to go and find the deals. That's what gets them up out of bed in the morning. They don't have time to do all those things by themselves. So they bring other people into their team that can handle those duties so they can focus on the things that they're really good at. Yeah. Obviously those different skill sets, you know, are needed in the GP. So that's great advice. Well, thank you for your time. You're shedding so much light on potential passive investors and people that are interested in real estate, but just don't really know where to start. So thank you for sharing. Man, I can talk about it all day and like, I'm not, I I don't, I don't, I don't need to approach it from like, I need to sell you kind of thing. Like the real estate handles itself. Like if you're just going out there making friends with people, it really does. That's like one of the biggest keys. Great key. That's awesome. All right. So real quick, we have a few questions every week. The first one is your favorite real estate book currently. Wow. That's kind of hard. So it's actually a book that's not about syndication. It's a book called Higher and Better Use Investing by Mike Watson, who no longer is in business, by the way. Huh. But he talks about all of these strategies for capital raising and for creating a higher and better use of a property. So if you take a house or a piece of land and you add you know, some kind of a building to it, or you take an existing building and add square footage by adding a bedroom and a bathroom, or you take an apartment complex and build more units, you know, like all of these things that you can do to improve the highest, the higher and better use of that property. So the the highest and best use mindset is just very impactful for me. So that's probably one of my favorite books. That's cool. I haven't read that. That's on my list now. It's it's not very well known. Okay. And then uh, your favorite real estate investing tip for somebody that's new. Yeah, build a huge network if you can. If, if you're a people person, get on LinkedIn, start adding people every day. Just make friends and build it out. Like the more people that you're connected with, the easier this business becomes. And if you're focused on like att- attracting a specific person that could be your passive investor, instead of just going out and meeting people and making friends and coming from that philosophy, it's tougher, right? So when yeah. you're just out there like making friends, this business becomes very easy. So true. 
Well, man, Ruben, great. I'm so glad you were on this week. Where can people find you? Where, where do you want them to reach out to you? I like LinkedIn, Facebook. My handle on Instagram is at Capital Razor. You can find my show. I have a show on raising capital that talks about all kinds of cool stuff, including mindset and spirituality. That's at CapitalRaiserShow.com. And then my team, if you want to find out about my team, Bakerson.com. Awesome. Ruben, thanks for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me, man. That concludes this episode of the NOI Podcast, uncovering the path to successful real estate investing. Thanks for listening. If you are enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. We look forward to bringing you more great content. Till then, happy investing.